you come up and I'm going to pray for you. So guys, would you welcome David? And so I just, I just want to offer a prayer for him before he speaks. God, I thank you so much for David. I thank you for his heart and his commitment to you, Jesus. Even though the challenges that we all face sometimes can kick us really hard, I just know that he has been faithful. And I'm just grateful, Lord, that you have a word to share through him, through his experience, and through the word of God. I pray the Holy Spirit would fill him now as he comes to share. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, Pastor Daniel. Yeah. Um, it really is an honor to be here with you guys today. It's so great to get to be up here again. But as Pastor was talking, and thank you for that incredible introduction, Pastor, I realized that there might be some of you out there who are a little bit confused right about now, especially if you've started coming to the church around the last seven or eight months, because Pastor talked about how I'm a son of this house. I've been involved in a lot of different things around here. But if you're newish, you're probably looking at me and being like, I've never seen that guy before in my life, which is totally fair because I haven't been as round, around as much over the last six or so months. There's a pretty good reason for that. But six months ago, back in November, my wife Brittany and I welcomed our first child, our daughter Amelia May, into the world. I think we have a picture of Amelia. There's my wonderful daughter, Amelia. She actually hasn't taken super well to the nursery so far, so she's actually right there. Hi, Amelia. Hi, daddy loves you. You're the best. Anyway, so we welcomed Amelia into the world. She really is just the best, such an incredible blessing into our lives. But so we kind of took some time away to get used to being parents as much as that's possible. And yeah, hey, baby girl, I love you too. Um, and just protect her from cold and flu and COVID and all that kind of stuff. But now we're really back in the swing of things back at church. And we're so grateful to be back because we really do love, <laughs> love Elevation. We love our church family, um, love everything about it, love our ministries, our people. And of course, really love Pastor Daniel and Pastor Gretchen. Will you guys join me in just giving some love to Pastor Daniel and Pastor Gretchen? Pastor Daniel and Pastor Gretchen really are a spiritual father and mother to me, and I don't know where I would be without their influence in my life, but I'm confident it would not be in near as good of a place or as close to where I think God is calling me to be as I am today. Thank you, Pastor Daniel and Pastor Gretchen, just for your love, for your commitment to me and to so many other people. And it's crazy, but this is actually my third opportunity to get to speak on a Sunday here at Elevation. I know, I'm just as shocked as you guys that Pastor keeps inviting me back. But the previous two times, I've told stories about times in my life when Pastor Daniel's made a really big difference. He's really helped me out in some way. And so today I thought I'd switch it up and tell a story about a time when Pastor Daniel ruined my life. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. I don't have a story like that. Pastor got real excited for a moment. Uh, I almost got pulled off the stage. But really, I wanted to switch it up and talk a little bit about Pastor Gretchen. Um, I don't think she's in here, which hopefully she's not embarrassed by the story. But um, the story comes back in the summer of 2019. And Brittany and I and some other awesome leaders from Elevation were down in Birmingham, Alabama with our youth group at the Motion Youth Conference. And this was our second year going down there, and we were... It was already Friday night, so we'd made the trip down, had almost a full day of stuff, and things were going really well. I was beginning to feel like I could relax. You know, the kids were having a good time. God was there. It was great because 
running a youth trip is very awesome, but very stressful. So by the time Friday night rolled around, we had had worship and the Lord was there and the kids were into it. It was awesome. And so we sit down to take our seats for Friday night and I'm starting to feel like I can relax. But then a couple minutes into the speaker's message, like there's some weird spidey sense, some youth leader spidey sense going on in my head that I'm like, something weird is happening here, but I can't quite figure out what it is. So a few more minutes go by and then it becomes pretty obvious and it dawns on me, oh no, this is a birds and the bees talk. And I start to panic because I'm the youth leader with all these students and I feel like we've prepared for just about everything that can happen on one of these trips except for what if the speaker starts talking about sex. And so my mind starts racing. It's, I'm basically having a panic attack sitting there in my chair in this arena with like 18,000 students and leaders. Like I'm full on almost ready to abandon our students and my wife and just start a new life on the road. Because I'm thinking we have middle schoolers and high schoolers on this trip. What if some of them haven't had the talk with their parents yet? It's gonna be so weird for them. The parents are gonna be mad. What if me and Brittany have to have the talk with some of these students after tonight? That's like my nightmare. And so I am freaking out. So after sitting there like frozen for a few minutes, I kind of get up out of my chair and walk out of the arena into the concourse and I call Pastor Gretchen. And you know, Pastor Gretchen proceeded to share with me the infinite amount of wisdom and experience she has with this kind of stuff, spoke to me as a mother and explained that most parents who let their kids go on a trip like this have kind of thought through this or planned through it and done their best to prepare their students. But the thing that I'm most thankful for is that when I called Pastor Gretchen as a youth leader, calling my pastor, freaking out about a sex talk at a youth conference, that she did not just laugh me off the phone. Because so, I think if the roles were reversed, I would have laughed. I'm almost confident, no matter how much Pastor Daniel loves me, that he would have laughed and hung up. And that would have been it, right? <laughs> but Pastor Gretchen met me where I was at with compassion, and empathy and love. And I'm so grateful for her helping me out in that moment because I didn't abandon the youth group. We got them all back safely and it was awesome. But thank you, Pastor Gretchen, for that. I love you and Pastor Daniel so, so much. And I don't want to take or miss an opportunity to talk about my incredible wife, Brittany, who's also over there with our daughter. Hi, Brittany. Brittany and I will have been married for four years next month which is crazy, but Brittany really is the most amazing thing to ever happen to me other than my salvation. She's an incredible wife, mother, and friend, and the thing that's amazing is that she's really a testament to God's goodness and his love and that he blesses us far beyond what we deserve. Because if you know Brittany, if you know me, you know that she is way out of my league. Like, it's not even funny, it's not a joke, like she's a legit snack, like it's just the truth, it is what it is. <laughs> You get it. I love you so much, Brittany. Thank you for sticking with me and letting me talk about you from stage. <laughs> All right. Well, you guys, I can't explain it, man. I'm not commenting on snack hoods of any other people other than my wife. Well, where do we go from here, guys? <laughs> How do we get out of this? Uh, let's pray. How about that? You guys join me in prayer. Oh, dear Lord, we love you so much. Thank you for being here with us, God. Thank you for what you've already done here today in worship. We love you, Lord. Ask you that you would just continue to come and be with us, that my words would be yours and not mine, God. That you would just come and help make us more into the church, 
men and women that you're calling us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, like Pastor mentioned, we're kicking off a new series here today. Um, And I hate to correct Pastor. That's never a good look when you're on stage. But the name of this series is actually The Struggle is Real. There's a full five-second pause and sigh before you say the title of this series. And so will you guys do me a favor? Will you look at your neighbor deep in their eyes and just let out the biggest sigh that you can and say the struggle is real? That was, okay, we did all right. Hopefully second service will crush you guys at that. But anyway, I'm just kidding. There's not a five second sigh before the struggle is real. But the series of verse for this series comes out of Job and it's Job 12 verse 22. The Bible says he uncovers mysteries hidden in darkness. He brings light to the deepest gloom. And I love this verse because it really just speaks into some of God's character, some of the things that God does in his omnipotence and his godliness, right? He knows everything and he brings those things out into the open. He uncovers mysteries hidden in darkness and he brings light to the deepest gloom to the deepest sadness, to the deepest depressions. And that's really what the series is all about. I know we went from talking about snacks to talking about depression. Stick with me, right? This is a mental health series about depression, anxiety, and suicide. Like Pastor Daniel talked about, this is a series that we feel is really timely now. I don't know about you guys, but these last few years have been hard for so many people. And so many people that I talk to, and even what I feel inside of myself, is that there's just kind of this darkness, this heaviness to life right now. So we thought it was really important to talk about it. And also, just being honest, historically, the church, and I don't mean Elevation Church, but like the capital C church and Christians, haven't always done the best job with how they've tackled mental health. I mean, I'm 30 years old now, and I think I was in my late teens, early 20s before I heard you know, a pastor talk about mental health from the pulpit. And even then, it wasn't met maybe with what I would determine to be the right amount of compassion and empathy for something like that. So we wanted to do our little part these next few weeks to try to speak into that. Um, so yeah, <laughs> sorry, getting distracted by my daughter. I love you, Amelia. Um, So we wanted to do our part to speak into that. And if you're here today and you're struggling or have struggled with your mental health, I want you to know a few things about this series right off the bat. One is that you're not alone. And I don't say that to like be sunshine and rainbows or anything like that. But a huge part of what I'm gonna talk about here today is my testimony, which centers heavily on my struggles with depression, anxiety, and suicide. So to the extent that I can know what you're going through, I've been there, I've been in those trenches, like you're really not alone. Along those lines, we're not gonna try to give you sunshine and rainbows during this series, right? When I was struggling, whenever I've been struggling, I've heard a pastor just say, you know, just think happy thoughts or just be happy, right? Those things don't really help. They might help if you're sad, you're having a bad day or a bad week, but if you're really depressed, they're not gonna help you very much. And so we're not gonna try to do that here these next few weeks. We're gonna try to give you spiritual truths and some really practical steps that can hopefully help you get to where God wants you to be. And if you're here today and you're not struggling, you don't struggle with your mental health, that's awesome. So happy for you. But like Pastor Daniel talked about earlier, 
there are plenty of people in the world who do. There's friends, family members, coworkers, people in this very church who desperately need Bible-believing, Jesus-loving Christians to come alongside them, to help them through their journey and their struggle. So I really believe that there's things in this series for everyone, no matter where you are at with your mental health. And as we prepare for today, as I knew I was going to talk and I was supposed to share part of my testimony and my story, of course I wanted to speak out of the Bible. And ultimately when it comes down to it, I'm a story guy. It's how I learn, it's how I remember things. So I went to the Lord and I asked him, you know, what story out of the Bible I could speak out of. And he said, Jonah. And I was really confused because to me, Jonah was a kid's story, a Sunday school story, right? I didn't want to get up here and talk about depression and a guy getting swallowed by a fish, right? I was worried I was going to look ridiculous. I was going to look goofy. I mean, a long time ago, I made the Lord promise me that I would never have to preach on a story that they did a Veggie Tales about, right? And so like, I felt like God was breaking that promise to me. And so I kind of just left it there and moved on. And a couple of days later, I came back to it and asked the Lord again. And of course, you know, God doesn't really change. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, right? So he said it was still Jonah. And I was like, okay, God, I'll humor you. And I went back and read the story of Jonah. It's in the Old Testament. It's four chapters. It's not a particularly hard read. And I reread it. And of course, God being God and knowing everything, he showed it to me in kind of a way that I hadn't really seen it before a way that was applicable to what we were talking about here today. But before we get there, it's probably important to do a quick recap of the story of Jonah for those of us who maybe aren't quite as familiar. So Jonah was a prophet back in the Old Testament. And God came to him and said, Jonah, I want you to go to a place called Nineveh, and I want you to prophesy to them that they basically need to get their act together or I'm going to pass judgment on them. The problem is that Jonah did not want to go to Nineveh. He did not like the Ninevites. I would go as far as to say that Jonah hated the Ninevites. So instead of doing what God asked him to do, he got on a boat and went in the opposite direction of Nineveh. And while he's on the boat, God sends this huge storm that is threatening the lives of everyone on board the ship. And the people on the boat come to Jonah and they say, Jonah, Jonah, do you know what's going on? And Jonah is like asleep in the bottom of the ship. And he goes, yes, And the guys are like, great, what's going on? And Jonah's like, it's all my fault. And the guys are like, okay, well, what do we do to fix it? And then Jonah's like, throw me into the sea. And the guys are like, no, Jonah, you'll die. We're not going to do that. And then the storm gets worse, and the guys are like, okay, Jonah, we're going to throw you into the sea now. And they chuck him into the sea. And while he's there, we come to the last verse in Jonah chapter 1, which is Jonah 1, 17. The Bible says, now the Lord provided a huge fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So Jonah gets swallowed by the fish, right? God, in his grace and his love for Jonah, sends a fish to swallow him and save him. So kind of the new way that God showed me this story is a picture of Jonah as a prophet, but a prophet who's struggling, right? He's struggling with his mental health that God asks him to do something he doesn't want to do, and he kind of panics, has a bit of an anxiety attack, and he runs in the opposite direction. So I don't know about you guys, but I can't really relate to a guy getting swallowed by a fish. I just can't. Like, I can go a lot of places in my mind. I can't quite get there, and I'm betting you can't either, but I can relate to someone struggling with their mental health. And so 
my mental health journey goes back a good ways. Um, growing up when I was a kid, I was never really that good at making friends. Um, I never had a lot of friends growing up. I just struggled to relate to my peers for a lot of reasons that I don't really have time to get into here today. But one of the things I did have was sports. And so I played a lot of sports every season and I didn't have friends, but I had teammates and that kind of bridged that gap a little bit for me. But when I was 12 years old, I was hit by a car and I broke my leg. I told that story before, won't tell it again but it meant that I couldn't play sports for a couple of seasons. And that was the first time where I realized how alone I was and how isolated I really was from people my age. And that ushered in my first experiences with depression and anxiety. And that was when I was like 12 or 13. Like I said, I'm 30 years old now. And so that 17, 18 years in between really has been a journey. There's been a lot of ups and downs, years when Things have been pretty good, some minor depressive episodes and some really severe depressive episodes that threatened my life through suicidal thoughts and suicidal ideation. And things, when I was at my absolute lowest in my journey was in 2016. The odd thing was that prior to some of my experiences with depression, this actually happened at a time in my life when I was kind of doing all the right things or the things that people tell you to do, right? I was reading my Bible and praying and journaling, not just in the morning, but at night, twice a day. I was like really up there. Um, I was really involved here at church. I was in Christian counseling. Pastor Daniel was mentoring me. I had a pretty good group of friends here at the church. I have a family who loves me and supports me. And yet I fell into a depressive episode and things just got worse and worse as time went on. To the point that once I was a few months into this depressive episode, I really didn't want to live my life anymore. I was really struggling with suicidal thoughts and suicidal ideation. That I would regularly pray at times when I didn't know how it was gonna keep going. I would pray to the Lord, save me or take me. But what that meant to me was God, save me, like, take this pain, this suffering, this depression, this anxiety away from me, or take me. Take me up to heaven miraculously, like one of the saints. Allow me to die, you know, in my sleep, in a car accident. I really didn't want to take my own life, but I didn't want to be struggling anymore. I didn't want to be alive anymore. I would pray that over and over in my darkest moments. It almost became like my mantra during that time, save me or take me and things just still got worse and worse for me. By the time December rolled around in 2016, I was really at the end of myself. And I, um, I was pretty much ready to take my own life, but I had committed to the Lord and to myself to not do it until I had tried everything that I could think of to get better. And so in a day when I was really struggling, I was actually at work, it was the middle of the day, I got up from my desk, grabbed my phone, walked to the supply closet, and moved around the toilet paper and the mops and closed the door. And I called the psychiatric hospital because it was the one thing left that I felt like I hadn't tried yet to get better. So I called them, asked if they had any room available. They said yes, told me that you know when I could make it down, come down and they would evaluate me and decide whether I should stay or not. You know, We would go from there. 
And so I left work, didn't pack a bag or anything, and I drove to the hospital. And they did their evaluation. They came to the conclusion that I should be committed for treatment for depression, anxiety, and I was on suicide watch the entire time I was there. And I ended up spending five days and five nights in a psychiatric hospital. And um, the funny thing is, and we'll get to this a little bit later, but that's where God really began to turn my life around. But to be honest, just in, you know, trying to be frank and honest, it wasn't because I had a super great experience at the hospital. Right? It wasn't that I felt like the doctors and the nurses and the medical professionals really cared about me and really you know, nursed me back to health, so to speak. It was more that that's where God met me. And my most memorable time in the hospital um, was just a random Thursday or Friday, a weekday, in the middle of the afternoon, when me and some of the other guys on my floor and my wing were just in the common area watching the busted TV that was on the wall, and it was showing whatever comedy movies on TBS or TNT in the middle of the afternoon on a weekday. We're just watching it and a joke gets made. And I laugh, not like an uproarious laughter, not even what I would say is like my real laugh, but kind of that laugh we all, you know, learn to just to make people feel good about themselves. Uh, <laughs> you know, nothing crazy, like I wasn't like, ah, um, but just a chuckle. And one of the other men there stands up from his chair and he points at me not like aggressively, but seriously. And he says, why are you here? And at this point, we've been through group therapy sessions together. Like we all kind of know each other's stories, right? And he says, why are you here? And I go kind of exasperatedly, depression, anxiety, suicide. And he goes, yeah, I know, I know. But you laugh and smile more than anyone else here. Why are you here? And he walks out of the room, end of discussion. And to be honest, even though it's such an important memory to me now, it's something that I forgot about for months, maybe even a year after it happened. You have a lot of really interesting, really curious interactions with people when you're in the mental institution. And so this didn't really even crack the top 10. But later on, when I was doing a little bit better, when I was out of the hospital, when I was spending time with God, he brought that back to my memory. He was like, David, do you remember that? I was like, well, Lord, now that you mention it, I kind of do, yeah. He was like, what do you make of that? I was like, oh, I don't know, God. I mean, we were in the hospital. Everybody was struggling. You know, he just got mad that I laughed. Like, no big deal, right? Doesn't really mean anything. And God's like, yeah, but he was kind of on to something. And I was like, what do you mean, God? You proceeded to tell me that I was, in fact, happy to be in the hospital, which was something that truly floored me from God. It truly, like, dropped me. Because I was in the hospital being treated clinically for depression, anxiety, and suicide. It's hard to think anything further away from that than God telling me that I was happy, right? And I know that if you're a little bit cynical out there, you might be like, well, David, you were probably heavily medicated while you were in the hospital. And that's true, I was. But some reason, I don't think that's what God was trying to teach me about that experience, right? And so I was just shocked by God telling me I was happy to be there. I mean, it's a place that no one should really be happy to be, right? Like I needed to be there, people need to be there and that's good, but you end up there because things have gone poorly for you for a multitude of different reasons, right? Nobody's happy to be there. 
But so I went on this really long journey with God to try to understand what he was trying to teach me through that experience. And what he ended up showing me was really how I had been leading my life, kind of my internal life in my time leading up to the hospital. I had my first really serious depressive episode as an adult. I was about 21 after I'd graduated college and things were just really bad for me during that time as well, but God brought me out of it. But coming out of that, the Lord showed me that I had developed some bad habits, some bad doctrine, some beliefs about him, about scripture, about how to live my life that weren't really true, that weren't really helping me out. One of the things I had done coming out of that depressive episode in my early 20s into the time when I entered the hospital when I was 25 or 26 was that I decided that if I would think and analyze and overanalyze every thought or emotion that came into my body that I was aware of, that I'd be able to stop myself from going down that path again, right? That if I could just process everything and determine, is this healthy, is this unhealthy, is this good, is this bad, and just tried to stay in the middle, that I wouldn't have another depressive episode. And so that's what I did. I analyzed and overanalyzed everything, even the good things, the things from God. I would analyze them until, honestly, they weren't really good anymore. My friends during that time would call me the fun sucker, right? Uh, which just goes to show you how much I truly sucked the fun out of everything by this way that I was living my life. It was so bad that I think in that time when I was praying to the Lord, save me or take me, that if Jesus had showed up in front of me, it was like, David, great news. We're going to answer your prayer. We're going to take you up to heaven like one of the saints. It's going to be awesome that I would have been like, whoa, Jesus, let's slow down and think about this for a second, right? That's how twisted up I was in my head, that even the good things God had put in my life, I didn't let them be good anymore. And I didn't know that I was doing this at the time. I thought it was all in search of doing what God had called me to do, of not allowing myself to be derailed by another depressive episode. But really what I had done was put myself in this spiritual, mental, emotional straitjacket where I wasn't allowed to feel anything good or anything bad. And it made it so that by the time it came to when I was struggling and I was entering the hospital, that I was so tired. I was mentally, emotionally, spiritually, physically exhausted in a way that I can't really even explain to you properly. The way I kind of visualize it is just that all those parts of me were just like in puddles on the floor, right? It's that kind of thing I've never experienced except when going through depression or when going through loss and grieving, where no matter how much sleep you get, no matter how much rest you get, it just doesn't really help, right? No amount of vacation days is gonna get you back to recharge and where you need to be when it's that kind of grief, that depression in your soul. So that's where I was when I was entering the hospital. And I didn't know any of that. So kind of subconsciously, what I was saying to the Lord when I entered the hospital like I mentioned earlier, it was the last thing I could think of to get better. And if it didn't go well, I was prepared to end my own life. So I was basically saying to God, like, if I don't get better, if I still want to hurt myself while I'm in the hospital or when I leave here, that's on you, God. That's on you and the doctors and the medical people to get me feeling better. And of course, that was a wrong mindset right? I was still responsible for myself. I still had responsibility in what I was doing. 
But that's kind of what was going on inside of me that I didn't even know at the time. And what that did was when I entered the hospital and was feeling that way, it kind of let me out of that straitjacket. And I was really able to breathe for the first time in a long time. And I was able to just kind of exist. You know, sometimes like if you've been depressed or anxious or you're struggling, you're not even really shooting for happy. You're just shooting for okay. You're just shooting for existing without suffering, right? And that's where I kind of was aiming and was at in the hospital. And so what that really led to um, in this journey of God kind of showing me this and explaining me to this, that I was happy to be there, was that I wasn't happy to be there because of the drugs. I mean, I was happy to be there because I could breathe and all that for the first time, but it was the first time in years of my life that I was safe. And I don't just mean physically safe, although that was true too, but I was mentally, emotionally, spiritually safe. And safe from the enemy, but also safe from myself and the way that I had been thinking and living my life. And it was that being safe with the Lord that really began to turn my life around. Because the thing that I've learned in my life, I believe from other people's lives, what I see in scripture, is that when the storm is raging around us, right? The storm of our emotions, of our thoughts, when you're struggling with your mental health, it is so hard. It is nearly impossible to hear from God. Like Pastor Daniel talked about earlier, God is always talking, right? God is always with us through everything. That doesn't mean that we're able to hear him. And when you're struggling with your mental health, it's so hard. I mean, I can speak to that firsthand where, like I mentioned, I felt like I was doing all the right things. I was spending so much time with God. All I listened to was worship music and sermons. Like I was with God, and yet I really couldn't hear from him. And I didn't know that at the time. It's something I've only seen on the other side of that. But that's what kind of led me to be able to be happy to be in the hospital is that I was safe for the first time in so, so long. And I think that that's actually what we see in the story of Jonah as well. At the end of Jonah, he gets swallowed by the whale or the fish, right? He's in there for three days and three nights. And the entirety of chapter two of Jonah is a prayer that Jonah prays to the Lord while he's in the fish. It's a prayer of repentance. It's a prayer of thanksgiving. And ultimately, I believe it's a prayer of praise, which leads me to believe that somehow, against all odds, Jonah was happy to be in the belly of the fish. And I was happy to be in the hospital. Like I said, I know if you're cynical, you're thinking, David, you were really drugged up, and Jonah's alternative was drowning, right? So even being in a terrible situation is better than that. But yet I still don't believe that's what God is trying to teach us through these stories. So why in the world would I be happy to be in the hospital? Why would Jonah be happy to be in the belly of the fish. I think it all comes back to that those were the first times that we were safe from our struggles in so, so long. So really, my encouragement for you here today, if you're struggling, is to do what you can to find a safe place to be with the Lord. And I know how hard that is. I don't mean to make that sound easy or simple at all. Because when you're struggling, you aren't being intentionally unsafe right? Or most of us, you're not trying to put yourself in the danger zone, right? You're trying to do your best just to survive. That's how I lived my life for so long is I was just trying to make it from day to day, from minute to minute to minute to minute, moment to moment without hurting myself. 
So when you're doing that, when you're in the storm, when you're in the sea like Jonah was and the waves are crashing around you, the thunder and the lightning is going, like you don't know if you're swimming to shore or you're swimming further out into the sea, right? You don't know where you're headed when all that's happening. You're just trying to keep your head above water without drowning. And it makes it so hard to get to a safe place because the safe places are where we can really begin to hear from God where he can begin to speak into our lives. And that's what I experienced in the hospital, is it wasn't that I heard an audible word from the Lord. It wasn't that he miraculously took away my pain and my depression. And I still struggle with some of that stuff to this day. I had a minor depressive episode earlier this year, right? So it wasn't, I mean, what God did was a miracle, but it wasn't an instantaneous healing. But it was in that safe place that I found in the hospital that he began to give the tiniest little spark of hope, of light into my darkness that allowed me to turn things around. And like I said, I don't mean to make it sound easy, right? I'm fully able to admit that I ended up in that safe place almost by accident, where the Lord was numbering my steps and my ways in a way that I don't understand, right? I ended up there as a last resort, as a desperation, right? I don't think it was Jonah's plan to get swallowed by the fish, right? I don't think that these were things that happened intentionally, so I don't mean to make it sound easy, but I do think I've learned that there are things that we can do in our lives when we're struggling, or even when we're doing okay, to find or create safe places in our lives to just allow God to love on us. As if you're struggling, if you're in the sea with the waves crashing around you, just allowing him to speak into you is probably what you really need. It's what I really need when I'm struggling. It's not that I need an audible word. I don't need another thing to do. I just need to let God love on me in the way that only the Father can. And my favorite verse in all of scripture, I think I read it every time I get on stage, is 1 Kings 19, verse 12. And um, in verse 11, Jonah, or not Jonah, excuse me, God brings the prophet Elijah to the edge of this mountain, to the edge of this cliff. And he has a huge windstorm pass by, and then an earthquake, and then a fire. In verse 12 of 1 Kings 19 tells us, God wasn't in the wind, earthquake, or fire. He spoke afterwards with a gentle whisper. And that's what I believe. I believe God is always speaking to us, but more often than not, he's speaking with a gentle whisper. And how really are we supposed to hear that over the storm of our emotions and the things going on in our lives, right? So in order to hear him, we have to get to a safe place. So as we finish here, I have three kind of quick tips or tricks to try to help you create or find your own safe place in your life. The first one is take the edge off, right? You've gotta find a way to calm the waves down in your life, to be able to get to the Lord. And there's a lot of different ways that you can go about doing this, right? Kind of almost your typical ways of dealing with mental health issues, right? You can go to therapy and counseling. You can talk to someone that can help you work through what you're going through. You can talk to a pastor, a friend, but someone, you know, who hopefully Bible-believing, God-loving will help lead you in the right way to just calm out those waves for you a little bit so you can find God. Another way you can take the edge off is through medication. Right? I stand before you as a 30-year-old man who I think is doing what God's calling me to do, who's on antidepressants. I'm not afraid to admit that. I'm not ashamed of it. 
right? I think it's okay to take medication. We're gonna talk about that more a little bit throughout the series, so I don't wanna belabor the point, but there's a lot of different reason you can take antidepressants, anti-anxiety medication, any of that kind of stuff. But for me, physically, like I know from tests that my body is bad at creating serotonin, right? If this were like the serotonin Olympics, I like wouldn't even qualify for the event, right? Like I would come in last. I don't know why it's that way. I don't know why, you know, my fellow friends out there who are in that same boat as me, I don't know why God made us that way. But I know that that's true for me. And so I don't have any shame or any regret about taking medication to even that out that puts me in a place to do what God's called me to do. The first thing you've got to try to do is take the edge off. The second thing is eliminate distractions when you're trying to let God love on you in a safe place. You know, I don't think Jonah had a lot of other things going on in the belly of the fish, right? I can't imagine what he was doing to pass the time besides spending time with God and just trying not to vomit, right? It was a really difficult situation. And when I entered the hospital, you know, they take your phone. Um, I scribbled down on a tiny piece of paper they gave me some of the phone numbers I hadn't had memorized, you know, like Pastor and some of my friends, and they take your phone. You don't have access to the internet. Your only real interaction with the outside world is through the broken TV on the wall, and then kind of like a payphone system that you can only use sparingly. And so it gives you a lot of time, those five days I was there, to just spend with the Lord. And I don't mean to make it sound super spiritual. It wasn't like I was just in there reading my Bible the whole time, right? Most of the time, I kind of just sat around and stared at the walls a little bit, if I'm being honest. But even in that calm, in that safe place, God worked in that. So if we can eliminate distractions, it helps us get to God quicker and allows him to speak and love to us more. So take the edge off, eliminate distractions. And the third thing to kind of create or find your own safe place is get weird. Or maybe better, don't be afraid to get weird, right? I found God, I found my safe place in the psychiatric hospital. Jonah did it in the belly of the whale. These are inevitably, I think, just you know, certainly weird places to find God. They're unexpected places to find God. They're weird places to find the Lord. But if you read the Bible, it's chock full of those kind of stories, right? Of God working in these really weird, really strange, really incredible ways to help bring his kids home, to help light up darkness. I mean, Jesus literally healed a blind man by basically spitting into some mud and putting it on his eyes, right? He literally brought light and vision into that guy's life in a very weird, very strange, very crazy way. So as you're trying to find your safe place, don't be afraid to get weird. Don't be afraid to do things that might look weird to other people. It took me way longer than it should have to go into the hospital because I was so afraid about how it would look. I was afraid about the implications it would have on my life, if my friends, if my family would still be there, if I would still have a job. All of those kind of things were the worries that kept me from doing what I needed to do. So don't be afraid to get weird. I don't even have suggestions, right? There's so many different ways that God can work in your life to find a safe place. It can be really complicated. You can go halfway across the globe. It can be really simple. You can do it in your car, right? It's different for all of us. But do your best to take the edge off, eliminate distractions, and don't be afraid to get weird. As we're finishing up here today, you know, I want you guys to know, um, I guess to share a little bit about my viewpoint, because. When I was struggling, I heard plenty of these kind of stories and these kinds of testimonies, right? 
of people struggling with their mental health and getting better. But I always looked at them with kind of the mindset of, oh, that's great for you. You know, I didn't believe that that's what God wanted to do in my life. I thought that it just wasn't in the cards for me that those people got lucky, right? That that wasn't going to happen for me. I believed that almost the whole time until it did. And I never thought I would see 30 years old. I thought I definitely wasn't going to make it that far in life. I never imagined that I would be married, that I would have a daughter. Those were dreams that I had given up on in my life, things that I thought weren't available to me as someone who struggled so much with my mental health. I just thought my life wasn't going to go that way. But of course God had a different plan. And he lit those dreams back up in my life and helped give me the abundant life that he promises all of us. But the great news is, and I don't mean this in a mean way, is that there's nothing special about me. Um, in God's eyes, I mean, he loves me, I'm his son, right? But there's nothing that separates me from you as far as how God sees us, right? I'm not special, I'm not magical. He doesn't love me more than he loves you, right? And so if God can do it for me, he can certainly do it for you guys. And so that's my encouragement for you guys today. It's like, I've been there. I've been cynical. I haven't believed really that God wanted to do it for me. But if he'll do it for me in the psychiatric hospital, if he'll find Jonah in the belly of the fish, he'll certainly do it for you. Stay the course. You know, I promised earlier I wasn't going to give you sunshine and rainbows. And I think I've held on to that promise. I think I've kept up with that. And I'm going to continue with that. But like really when you're struggling, surviving is an okay goal. Just making it to the next day, to the next moment, when you're doing the right things, when you're with the Lord, because eventually he's gonna bring you out of that. I don't know if it's gonna to be today, if it's gonna be years from now, right? I didn't expect for it to be in the hospital for me, but God is working in your life. The abundant life that he promises you is still available to you, regardless of what your struggles are or where you're at with your mental health. And so I don't want today to go by without an opportunity to pray for those of you who maybe you're struggling in those areas. Um, I'm not going to ask anyone to come down or raise your hands or anything like that. I just um, encourage you to really own this prayer. One of the things that really helped me when I was struggling was, you know, in times when I felt alone or isolated, is that I have this belief that I don't know is uh, hermeneutically accurate. Pastor can tell me later but is that when there are prayers that are prayed, right? Not prayers that are prayed specifically for David, but generic prayers, right? Every day in my life, I pray for people like me who are struggling with their mental health. And so I think as people, we can own those prayers. I don't have to know you by name. I don't have to put my hands on you, right? People don't have to pray for us specifically, but you can own those prayers in your heart and believe that those are for you. I believe that that will help. So anyway, I just encourage you to own this prayer. Everyone bow their heads and close their eyes, please. Oh, dear Lord, we love you, God. Come before you and just thank you for being with us. Thank you for never giving up on us, Lord. I want to lift up all my friends, all my brothers and sisters here today, God. And maybe you're struggling with their mental health. It could be depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, or any number of other to the people who are just trying to survive, just trying to make it to the next day, to the next moment. Lord, I ask that you would come in and just build that up. That you would just light up that.
so much so that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for your sins. And to receive salvation, to enter into that relationship with God, it's really simple, it's really easy. All we have to do is believe in our heart and confess with our mouth. And so with every head bowed, every eye closed, if that's you today, if you want to enter into a relationship with your father, God, which is going to count to three, I encourage you to raise your hand so I know who I'm praying for. Three, two, one. Good job, good job. Thank you, Lord. All right, with every head bowed, every eye closed, elevation, nobody's praying alone here, so everyone repeat this one after me.